0: Okay. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to part two of the Jeffrey MacDonald Murders, A Wilderness of Error. Um, I know it's going to get pretty, pretty intense. So hold on. I'm let's, excited.
1: I'm excited to see what Let's happens. get back into
0: it. Okay. So last week when we left off, we had just got finished with the Article 34 hearings and he got um, discharged from the Army so now we're going to jump into, like, the aftermath of that and what happens. It's almost like Jeff is like, okay, like, I, I got away with it. I'm going to put this behind me. I'm going to move on. The Army dropped the charges. Gonna so. Live alive now.
1: That was an easy way to get rid of my family.
0: Yep. So Bob Keeler was a reporter for Newsday, and he interviews the Kasabs in 1973. And Freddie, the stepdad, is like, he's like, uh-uh. Someone needs to be investigating this. Like, okay. my daughter, and my two grandbabies are dead, and no one's looking for these fucking hippies. Okay. So he's like pounding the pavement. He's going. He's not gonna let. He's not gonna let this go, to get congressmen, senators, anyone to start looking into this. So Congressman Lewinstein actually starts to help, and basically, Freddie's just wanting Congress to look into the investigation that the Army did because he wants to get the information himself too.
1: Okay. Okay. And the Army isn't like, and there's nothing wrong with this. I think it's a critical part of being the Army. They're not the most forthcoming.
0: Yeah. 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 So there's a reinvestigation into the case, and Mike Pickler is on, is on the reinvestigation team. And we're brought back to Helena. So in okay. 1971, Jim Gaddis, a, Nash, a Nashville police officer at the time, ends up arresting her for possession of drugs. And on the way to the station, she tells the officers that she has, in, she was involved with the McDonald murders. And she described the house to a T. And she gave names of officers who she talked to. So the Army's CID team, which is the reinvestigation team, goes down okay. there to Nashville to give her a polygraph test. And Robert Breinstein, who was an Army uh, polygraph expert is the one to give Helena the test. And so during the conversation, she would say like one minute she was there and the next minute she wasn't there.
1: So she was not well.
0: Yeah, she's not, no. When she said no, she wasn't there, she would show that she was lying. Huh. But then she would change. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, it's very confusing. So, they keep investigating, and the evidence is showing that there wasn't any hippies that broke in and killed the family. There is no physical evidence of anyone else being in that house. No forced entry. You know, you're going to tell me these hippies are high as hell. And there's not a needle left, a drug left.
1: Yeah. Something wasn't left
0: behind. Yeah. And the knife that was found in the bedroom, too, could be actually placed in their kitchen. So okay. at this point-
1: So they would have essentially entered with no intention to murder, taken a knife from the kitchen of the house and then murdered the family.
0: Yeah, yeah. But like and, there's no physical evidence showing this. Right, been
1: high on drugs and so precise that they didn't leave a speck of evidence yep. around no, the okay, entire no, house. nothing,
0: yeah, they just- Not a left footprint, it. not a fingerprint. Nothing. <laughs> Yeah, okay, got it. Because even the word pig, how would they know the surgical gloves are underneath the kitchen sink? Yeah, they wouldn't. So at this point, because now it's being reinvestigated, Jeff goes on the Dick Cavett show. And while he's on the show, he's pretty much like, he's not being like, oh, my family's been murdered. I'm devastated. I can't move on with my life. Like, he's not doing anything to find these hippies. Remember this. He's kind of like, oh, I got away with it. I'm leaving. I'm going under the radar. So he's Mm. complaining during this interview that his rights were violated and he was very calm and he was cracking jokes and he isn't showing
1: that and
0: he isn't showing that at all that he is upset. Like we know
1: trauma makes people do things in different ways but like but you expect someone to have a little bit of sorrow if they were just present when a bunch of hippies came and murdered
0: their family. Or trying to get the FBI to reinvest to investigate like trying to figure out who did it. The fact that he wasn't doing any of that is a red flag. A huge red flag. Right. Um, So after this interview, Freddie is like, fuck this dude. Fuck you. And this is the dad, right? This is the dad. This is the stepdad. And he is demanding he gets a copy of the Article 32 hearing. Because Freddie is still on his side, but he's now starting to be like, "Uh uh-uh. Something's not right. And also in the documentary... They have, so Freddie started recording all the conversations he ever had about this case because he didn't know who was on whose side. Okay. So you actually get to hear the recordings. Damn. Yeah. In the documentary. So he finally gets a copy of the transcript and Freddie is starting to find things wrong with what Jeff said. So Jeff said mm. that he stopped giving Kim, his his oldest daughter, mouth to mouth because air was coming out of her chest. Well, Where he had, like, killed her, there was no chest wounds to cause that to happen. Right. Um, The kids were found on their sides. If he was trying to do CPR, why are they on their sides? They would
1: have been on their backs, Mm -hmm. yeah. Hmm.
0: Freddie also finds in the transcript that Jeff didn't turn on any of the lights when he went to his daughter's rooms. So he points out, like, as a father, and especially as a doctor, why would you not turn the lights on to go into the rooms to treat your daughters. So this
1: poor dad, you know how you know how much guilt he must feel oh, yeah. after realizing when he like supported this man and then seeing all the evidence and the what he said and all that stuff and then realizing this motherfucker murdered my
0: daughter and granddaughters. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's gotta suck real bad. So we also find out that Jeff was cheating on his wife multiple times. Go fucking. There it figures. is. So There it is. Someone found out something they shouldn't have found out, and that's probably what caused the argument. Yep. So in 1971, so about a year after the murders, Freddie gets a call from Jeff, and Jeff tells him that him and a group went out to look for the hippies, and they found one and killed him. (laughs) And Jeff said he broke his arm during this. Well, Jeff didn't realize that at this point that the CID team had surveillance on him, and he was lying about this. It never happened. Damn. Like, what? So Jeff is thinking, okay, if I tell Freddie, like, I'm actually doing something to stop this, he's going to, like, leave it alone.
1: Leave it alone.
0: Yeah. And Freddie's like, idiot. Um, yep. So essentially Damn. the CID team and Freddie actually recreate the crime scene. And there is no way that there was a fight in the living room. Because remember how they had the cards on the table that was six feet away? Mm-hmm. They would just jump and the, the and cards would fall. fall over. And in all the photos, yep. the cards are standing up. So, yeah, they're like, this fucker is 100% lying. And Freddie is like, I am not taking this lying down. And he's like, I'm coming after you. Get him, Freddie. Yep. So we find out that after the murders, Jeff moves to Southern California and he works at he worked at St. Mary Hospital in Long Beach and becomes the director of the Department of Emergency Medicine. Okay? He has an oceanfront condo, a yacht, and he actually became no. like an honorary member of the local police force or something like that. Ah. Yeah. In 1972, the CID team gives a report to the Justice Department and the report is like you need to prosecute Jeff. Jeff did this, and the, okay. the Justice Department is like, no, we can't get a conviction with what we have because you have to remember this is the '70s, so like they don't have there's no DNA, DNA, DNA like testing that. that we do now. So a lot of it can come back circumstantial. Yeah, but with the advice of lawyers, on April 30th, Freddie and Mildred went to North Carolina Court system and filed a criminal complaint charging Jeff with three counts of murder. Okay, yep. So now get him in that civil court. Yep. So now we jump to July 19th, 1979, when Jeff goes to trial. So, all right, here we are. Here we go, guys. Let's crack into this. Let's get into it. So, Wade Smith is the local defense attorney. Jeff still has Bernie on his team, but, and Joe, you can probably attest to this. North Carolina, they have a way of doing things. What they do. What did they do? No, no, no. They have a way of doing things. And like this is how it is in a lot of courts, though, is in states, is that you should always have a local um lawyer to represent you in that state, wherever you're at. So you should always, if you're in North Carolina being trial, being perse- prosecuted, you should always have a North Carolina defense attorney. Because they know the laws, they know how the courtroom works, they know how to, like, talk to the judge. Like, a New York defense attorney from New York City is not going to be able to talk to a judge the same way that, like, a North Carolina would. Do you know what I'm saying? Right, right. Yeah. It's good to know somebody local. So Wade Smith is the local defense attorney, and Jeff still has Bernie on his team. Jim Blackburn was the lead prosecutor. And he had only been in the court once as a prosecutor, and it was for a misdemeanor. So he was like, "This is his shot, right?"
1: Okay, all right. So
0: they started bringing out the evidence, and one piece was the blue pajama top. Jeff said okay. that while he was being attacked, at the, that the top was pulled over his head and around his wrist while he was being stabbed. The problem right, with so this, it'd be inside out. The problem with this is that the top is huge; like it's like really oversized.
1: Ah. So they're
0: like, huh, that's weird. So the prosecution team just des- decides to demonstrate what Jeff says happened. So two things. One, Blackburn ends up stabbing on accident the other prosecutor who is holding up the top. He ends okay. up stabbing that prosecutor with- in his <laughs> wrists. Okay? Okay. Yeah. That would be my luck. I'd be like, fuck. Awkward. <laughs> Sorry, dude. Don't need to do that. Sorry, dude. <laughs> um, Because remember, he's being attacked by three guys. So this isn't going to be like yeah. a little, like, knock, knock. Just Like, like slip it over, slip it over your head. Yeah. Yeah. You're in the middle of combat in theory, yeah. right? And two, the holes, the ice, the holes from the ice pick were shredding the shirt. Okay. Because you have to think you're being stabbed. Like, people aren't going like this. like, they stab right. and pull back. When you're viciously stabbing, you're, you're shredding it. You're bringing it down. Yeah, yeah.
1: And it wasn't ripped up.
0: So the holes in Jeff's top were perfectly round.
1: Like he was in the bathroom intentionally in giving himself position. defense rooms.
0: Mm-hmm. He was in stationary Damn. position. Damn. Also, there were no fibers from the shirt found in the living room, but there were a ton of fibers found in the master bedroom. Fibers were also found in Kimberly's room. So the prosecution is pretty much saying the same theory as the Army prosecution. There is an argument. He starts hitting Colette with the club. Kimberly wakes up to see what is going on, and he accidentally hits her on the side of the head. He then takes her back to her room and kills her. Then when Colette is trying to protect Kristen, he hits her again in the head and kills her. And he then takes her to the bedroom and then goes to Kristen's room and kills her. Okay. So Bernie, at this point, subpoenas Helena, and the FBI brings her in. Because the defense team is so fixated on Helena. Helena did this. Helena did this, you know. Okay. And Bernie starts to interview Helena. Helena denies everything on the stand. Everything. And the defense still pushes forward with the theory that Helena did it. Because they have people who talk to her. And she confessed to it. So hearsay, essentially. And the judge on the case, Dupree, could have admitted the people that were there to testify that she said she did it. But he didn't. He denied it. And some judges would have, some wouldn't have. So he denied it. Okay. And because of this, Bernie gets into a fight with the judge about this. And like this is not how it's done in North Carolina. You don't fight with the judge. Right. You know. He was each, upset. Yeah. So after that, anytime Bernie tried to present something to the jury, the judge wouldn't allow it or overrule it. Ah. Very southern. So
1: oh my God. The
0: prosecution team actually takes the jurors to the apartment. Because the apartment is still ha- the apartment has been preserved for the past nine years so it still looked like it did the night of the murders so this is like what broke my heart the the cards they were valentine cards the kids had given their dad just days before the murders
1: oh my god
0: pictures the kids drew like everything very personal and jeff never took any of this he took a stereo of course he didn't yeah, he took he a stereo. He was ready for his family to die. Ugh. He took a TV set, but no personal items that the jurors could see. And like again, I understand like the grieving process. Like you shouldn't look when someone gives an interview and their whole family's been murdered. Be like, oh, they're not devastated and crying. Like automatically guilty. Who knows? Because
1: like you but don't know I'm how sorry, you're going to react. Father. In those situations. Tell me, tell me, your father or my father—if either of us got murdered brutally in our homes, would our not take family? every last thing? Yeah, in my, your house, that would remind them of you.
0: Oh, I like think about it. I'm like, if I came home and like my husband and my son was brutally murdered, I wouldn't give a fuck. I wouldn't give two fucks about our TV or the lamp or the stereo. It would be every piece of baby clothes. It would be, clothes, be it every would be special shirt. We still have yep. the notes we wrote each other from when he was at OCS. So like. Yes. I you wouldn't, would take that yeah, stuff. Yeah. I wouldn't take a fucking TV. Yep. So the jurors actually got to walk, get to see the crime scene.
1: All that left there.
0: Yep. And so they do the cross-examination of Jess, of Jess, Jesus, of Jeff. And. Okay. The prosecution knew he wasn't going to confess. So what they did was wear him down and get him tired. And they wanted to show him. So that he made a mistake. They want to show him getting angry. Because all everybody ever saw was the composed and handsome Jeff. They never saw the angry side. And it works. Yeah. He gets pissed off. Okay. So that's the prosecution side. So now the defense starts to present their side. Wait, what happens when he gets pissed off? Are there, are he just gets get to pissed that? off. He just starts yelling and gets pissed off. Like he does, nothing really comes of it, but it shows but that he can there get is angry. that side of him.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, okay.
0: So the defense starts to present their side and Bernie just starts going off and lecturing the jury. Finally, the judge lets, ne- lets Bernie know that he has five minutes left of their time. He lectured <laughs> the jury for three hours and 10 minutes. So Blackburn, the prosecutor, tells Smith he can have like 10 minutes of his time. And Wade Smith (laughs) is the North Carolina one, yeah. And in the documentary- He gives up some of his time. Yeah, yeah. So-
1: That is also very Southern.
0: Yep. And so um, Smith did say in the documentary, he was like, if I had- if Bernie had not done what he did, I, he's like, there's a real chance I could have actually convinced the jury that he didn't do this because certain, some people still think he doesn't, he did not do this. Okay. So he's like, there was actual other evidence we could have used and this and that. And we never really hear about that. Um, so he kind of goes in and tries to give his like piece and it doesn't really help. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so august 29th 1979 okay it was a six-week trial and it took six hours for the jury to decide and they find six him, hours yeah they find him not guilty in first degree what but okay but murder in the second degree they find him guilty for colette okay Guilty in the second degree for Kimberly and guilty in the first degree for Kristen. And I'm pretty sure the degree, okay. whether it was intentional or not. Yeah. Yeah. So collecting Kimberly makes right. sense because I don't think he intentionally meant to, I think it got to the point where like it went. So when he hit Kristen in the head, it was yes. like, fuck, like, and I then can't it was go like, back I don't know. from this I just, now. I
1: have,
0: I have yeah. to go all the way. Yeah. So the judge gave him three life sentences consecutive.
1: Yeah, he did.
0: So Smith does not believe that it was a fair trial, and he believes the judge was biased, because you have to also remember that this was in North Carolina where everyone knew about it. And I can, like, when you watch the documentary, I can see where he didn't get a fair trial. Like, I agree with that. I don't think he did get a fair trial. Um, I do think he did it. But I don't think we yeah. got a fair trial. So I can see where that comes in. So Bernie and Smith file for an appeal. Okay. As is their right. Yep. Okay. I swear. I know this is a long, because there's just so much. It's just so crazy. So No, no.
1: I'm here for it. Girl, I also- am here for it. I got my sewing out. I got my popcorn.
0: <laughs> so on the defense team was also writer Joe McGinnis. And Bernie and Jeff were actually looking for a writer to join their team. And they both liked him.
1: A writer? Like like an
0: author? Like an author. Yeah. Okay. So him and Jeff, Joe and Jeff, become very close. Like best friends. So in April 1982, Jeff starts communicating with Joe on tape recordings from prison. So during this time, Joe becomes like obsessed with the case. And we find out, like, while he was on the defense team, they essentially, like, rented a house from a fraternity. Like, they rented a frat house. And it was, like, all the boys went out and got beers and hang out. And Joe really wanted to be a part of that. So, like, that's how their friendship formed, right?
1: Oh, my God. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So,
0: he starts to go through all the transcripts and everything. And he finds notes that Jeff had written the day after the murders. And on the note... Jeff says that he had been taking a drug called es- Escarol? Escarol? It's a, it, I don't fucking know. It's called Speed. Speed. It's essentially okay. Speed. Okay. So some side effects of this drug can be temporary psychosis, often manifested as a rage reaction. Hmm. So if he was on it and Colette, Colette confronted him about the affairs, if that was what... He, it could have immediately escalated real quick. I see. So Joe writes a book about the trials in Jeff, and it's called Fatal Vision. And essentially, okay. after all the research, Joe decides that he is guilty. He did do it. Good. Thank God. And you got to remember, Joe was his best friend. He was a cheerleader. Like, he was like 100% Jeff didn't do this. And after he looked at all mm-hmm. the evidence and everything, it's what he does. Well, so... November 18th, 1984, a television movie comes out about the case, and it's based on the book Fatal Vision. So because of this movie portraying Jeff killing his family and people seeing it, it solidifies in millions of people's minds that he did it and that he is guilty. So Jeff's lawyers use this, and they're not happy because they are in the process of filing appeals for a new trial.
1: I see. Yeah. yeah, that wasn't good timing.
0: So now... <clears throat> that this, wasn't good timing. Yep. So now this movie is going to make it very difficult to get a fair jury. Mm. So essentially because of this, the defense team now has to find new evidence or evidence that was not available at the time to get a new jury. Okay. So Jeff's defense team starts to look at Helena again. So Helena oh, poor actually... Woman. At this time, does an interview with Prince and Ted Gunderson from the FBI. Prince is the local police officer from Fayetteville, remember?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: So she talks about how she was dressed the night of the murders in this interview. She's wearing a blonde wig, a floppy hat. She's wearing boots. So Gunderson from the FBI asked when she she arrived at the house, like what time did she arrive at the house? And she said around 2 a.m. She says that three men were already talking to Jeff when she came into the house and thought that they were asking for drugs. Things got out of hand and one of the guys ends up knocking Jeff unconscious. So at this point, the phone rings and Helena picks it up. So this is where Jimmy Fryer comes into play. And he is somebody that supposedly that calls for Jeff. So Jimmy okay. became sick on the phone. Seventeenth of February, and his doctor was Donald, not MacDonald. Okay. So when he called the base hospital, they give they gave him Jeff's house number instead of Doctor McDonald.
1: Ah, so during I see. this whole time, okay.
0: supposedly now Jeff is like knocked unconscious. The phone rings. Helena picks it up. She's like giggling on the phone. And she says in the interview on TV that she is high on mescaline. Okay. Um, Jimmy says that he, he could hear something going on in the background, like a fight, and someone says, hang up the damn phone. And then the phone goes dead. So, Helena says at this point, she goes. Really? Just listen. She goes to the back room and sees two of the guys attacking Colette. She says to leave. Like, leave her alone. Let's go. We don't need to be doing this. Helena then says she gets into her blue Mustang, goes to Dunkin' Donuts, goes home at like 4.30 a.m., and walks into her house. And at this point, her two roommates are painting on the wall, and they ask her why she did it. And she responded, he deserved to die. Helena says that Jeff and his family became a target in October of 1969 because he was part of the movement on the base that would require the soldiers to roll up their sleeves to see if they had any needle marks. And Helena knew a lot of people on base. And at the time, it was estimated that about half of the soldiers on Fort Bragg were using drugs.
1: Okay. It's probably still true. No, I'm kidding.
0: (laughs) I mean... And, like, you got to remember, he lives on a military installation. That was a joke. That was a
1: joke. That was not based in fact. Yes. And that was the 60s. Like, that was the 60s. Well, here's the
0: thing, though. He was living on a military installation. You cannot just roll up to a house on a military installation. So somebody in that car had to be military. Military. Got you. Okay. Got it. So in one of the interviews Helena does, she names Greg Mitchell as one of the guys who attacked Colette. Greg
1: okay. And we haven't met him yet.
0: Yeah. So Greg ends up actually going to rehab and it's like this old country house and it's run by a church and he confesses at Saturday prayer that he was a drug addict and committed the murders. And he was like, just has this like crazy reaction. When he tells the stories, he starts giggling and going crazy and they actually had to restrain him. What in the hell? Yeah. So the next day he is seen running away from the house and inside on the wall, in red paint was written, "I killed Doctor McDonald's wife and children." Mm. So, also in the documentary, you meet um, a roommate of Helena's, and essentially, she tells us that she that when she arrived back to the house, she did not have the hat, boots, or the donuts, and she looked like she had just been out in the rain. Helena tells her roommates that there was a murder on Fort Bragg and her roommates are like, what the fuck? It's four in the morning. Like, the morning news isn't even on yet. How do you know this? Yeah. Helena says Beasley told her about it and thinks she did it. Jeff is denied another trial. Because if she was high on acid and somebody comes up to you and says, you are here, here's the details, you're going to believe them. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah, it's a fucking roller coaster. So, okay, September 17th, 2012. We're really fast forwarding. Oh my God, there's more. I know. I know. He's still alive? Just wait, Joe.
1: Okay, okay, okay. I'm waiting.
0: (laughs) He's still in jail, though. Okay, okay. So, McDonald, is, Jeff, and his defense team go to court for evidentiary hearing to get a new trial, saying there is new evidence. At this point, we okay. also, at this point, find out that McDonald is married. Ew, again. During this appeal, we meet Mary Bright. Is the new evidence, and she was married to Jimmy Bright, who was a deputy okay. U.S. Marshal. Bright okay. ends up contacting Wade Smith, who was on the original defense team. He was, Bright says he was a deputy who picked up Helena in 1979. Okay. Helena tells Britt that she was there the night of the murders. So Britt brings Helena to the courthouse and she meets with Blackburn, the prosecutor, and he tells her that if she says what she is saying, he will indict her for murder. And this is threatening a witness.
1: Hmm. Can't do that.
0: Yeah, I can't do that. That's a big no no. So the whole point in 2012 is a show that he didn't have a fair trial. And part of that was Blackburn threatened a main mit- witness. So we actually Damn it. find Blackburn is actually disbarred, disbarred for fraud. Oh, for that? No, 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 no. He ends up oh. spending time in federal prison and he denies that he ever threatened. Oh my god! Helena. Yeah. I told you, it's a fucking wild ride. What in the hell? <laughs> it is nuts. So Black Moon says that Britt never drove her to Raleigh in 1979. And there's actually paper evidence of who picked her up. Dennis M- Meehan picked her up from Charlotte to Raleigh. Mahan says that he met the guy that drove her from South Carolina to Charlotte, and it was a tall black man. So, like, Brit was lying the whole time.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Helena's brother, Eugene, actually raised a signed affidavit from his mother about Helena's confession that she was there. Uh And Raymond Butch Madden Jr., former FBI agent, testifies that Beasley and Gunderson promised Helena things when they interviewed her, that things would be cleared up once and for all, and if possible, a new identity and employment hmm Oh, no. So Beasley was always trying to get information from Helena, we find out. Like, he was trying to use her as an informant back in the 70s and 60s. And he would help her out if she was in trouble. And she was on so many drugs. and I mean, at the time, like, any and every drug she took. uh oh. So... Some people believe that she gave, that he gave her information about the crime scene and put it in her head that she was there. Yep. And then we also find out that Gunderson had contacted people about a book and a movie with Helena, and it's also an easy way to, like, solve the case if you pin it on Helena because she fit the description. But she was known around base and town. What? <laughs> yeah. yeah Yeah. what in the fuck yeah we're guys hold on we're almost there we're almost there so at the end of the documentary we find out that in 2018 the fourth circuit of the u.s court of appeals denied jeff's request for a new trial thank god the supreme court has refused to review the case so in one of the interviews that jeff did and like 80s or 90s, I don't really know. I think it was, like, right after Fatal Vision. He mentions that in Colette's hand there was bloody hair. Like, like she pulled someone's hair out, right? So In her fist. So, (laughs) leading into the 2012 evidentiary hearing, DNA tests proved that the bloody hair found in Colette's hand came from Jeff. (laughs) and there still is dna evidence though that remains untested that could prove who committed the crimes which i mean jeff did i i think jeff did it 110 like to me i go off a lot of physical evidence and everything is pointing to him but everything on the off chance that he is telling the truth why can't they just test that dna because if he is telling the truth then that means those hippies probably, well, I don't want to say hippies, those people probably committed other crimes and murders that might be unsolved that we could tie up. Right, right, so if it was true. So just the DNA. Just get it done and, and close the book. But, so, he is still in jail. That is the McDonald case. And I do have, where are they now? Yes, That I got from the new news observer article. So okay. Jeff, he is federal inmate number 0131-177. And he is Get serving, the fuck out of here, I Jeff. Don't know, he is serving his life sentence at the Federal Correction, Correctional Institute in Cumberland, Maryland, which, fun fact, I used to live at Fort Meade, Maryland, and I used to actually drive by that correctional institution because it's right near.: He's been right. there. So I have seen his little house. Yeah. <laughs> literally. Literally. <laughs>
1: literally.
0: He was, oh, actually I lied. Well, he wasn't there when I was there, but he was transferred oh. there in 2002 after he married Katherine Curick, And she was like trying to prove his innocence and say, in love. like that's a whole He another... married another person? Yeah. Yeah. Which I think what if you're in jail women? for murdering your wife and kids, that is like not a constitutional right. You do not need to be married in like, yeah, they shouldn't be allowed to, but okay.
1: No, because clearly these women also have problems.
0: Mm-hmm. And he has exhausted all opportunities for a new trial.
1: Good, thank fucking God.
0: Bernie Siegel, what a piece of shit. I know Bernie Siegel. Siegel his lawyer died in California in 2011. Good. Wade Smith is considered. Here you go. If you ever need this one of the top civil and criminal defense attorneys in North Carolina. He was also co-counsel for Ann Miller-Knotts, who poisoned her husband with arsenic in 2001, and he also represented one of the guys who was falsely accused in the Duke Lacrosse scandal.
1: Oh, interesting. In
0: 2006, he was appointed as one of the eight commissioners on the North Carolina Innocence Inquiry Commission, and he is still practicing law in Raleigh. Jim Blackburn. In 1993, he pled guilty to fraud, embezzlement, forgery, and obstruction of justice. He was disbarred and served three and a half months in jail. After jail, he worked as a host and waiter at, at 42 oh. Second Street Oyster and Bar in Raleigh and is now a motivational speaker. I went speaker. there for pride. He <laughs> <laughs> might have been your server. <laughs> the poor man.
1: That's a very famous oyster bar. It well, back in the day, at least. He worked there.
0: <laughs> Poor thing. So, Colette's family. In 1987, Mildred sued Jeff over his money from the book and TV movie Fatal Vision, and she won a portion of the money. She should have won her. all of it. Yeah, um, she Mildred have died agreed. in 1994, and Freddie died in the same year in October. And her brother Bob is still um, alive. Okay. Helena, she was found dead in her apartment in January of 1983, and she died of ammonia and cirrhosis of the liver. Yikes. (laughs) So, Joe McGinnis, after he declared Jeff guilty, Jeff sued him. What a dick. I know. In 1987, a civil trial resulted in a hung jury, and they settled out of court. He wrote other books about Sarah Palin and Ted Kennedy. He died in 2014 from prostate cancer. Um, The author of the book, A Wilderness of Error, The Trial of Jeffrey uh, MacDonald, Errol Morris, he lives in Massachusetts with his wife, and 544 Castle Drive, this is where the murders took place. In 1984, the apartment was finally released by authorities and remodeled, and there were still family belongings in the house that were discarded, and in 2008, the unit was demolished and a neighborhood center was built. So you can guarantee that that neighborhood center is motherfucking haunted.
1: Yeah, there's so. ghosts there for sure.
0: And that is the case of Jeff McDonald. Do you think he did it or what not, Joe? Fucking
1: did done. He, did you he do it or not? That.
0: Of course he did it. Yeah, I agree. 100% he did it.
1: Of yeah. course he did
0: it. So, fuck you. What is your weekly win? I got a
1: Christmas tree. Yeah. What about you? What's your weekly win?
0: Um, I can't say the exact date, but I know the husband is coming home. Oh, yay. So that's my So yeah, I'm super pumped. I'm excited, but we do have to quarantine for two weeks, which means I have to go drop like $600 at Costco. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you enjoyed the first round of A Thousand True Crimes. This might be one of the longest long. ones we ever do. I am gonna to try to keep it shorter, but there's just so much but, information out there and yeah. I felt that the victims deserve to have their whole story told. So
1: absolutely. And you did a great job.
0: Thanks. I was already sorry the edge for of the my mispronunciation. Seat. I mean I'm on like my second glass of wine. So it's <sighs> allowed. It's allowed. All right. Well, we will see you guys, I guess, in like what, two weeks? We're gonna do this like every other week yeah yep join us um also on our thousand ways to a happy marriage relationship or whatever
1: hopefully we can just distract you a little bit from the chaos that is um 2020 it's almost
0: over guys we almost made it yep all right right. Bye. Bye. bye